Hi, this is Dr. John Ankerberg. I invite you to dig into God's Word today with my dear friend, the late Dr. Wayne Barber, as he leads you verse by verse through the Bible. Okay, chapter 10, Joshua chapter 10, the incredible journey. And what we've been doing, we've been comparing the new covenant with the old covenant in a way. We've been talking about experiencing the life we have in Christ the same way that they possessed the land that God had given to them. Our covenant is internal, eternal. Their covenant was external, involved the land. Ours involves a life. And we've been looking at it. We've seen from chapter 1, experiencing what you already have, facing life in God's strength. Chapter 2, walking, or chapter 3, walking on the water of God's word. Then chapter 4, letting God be your legacy. Chapter 5, living as a victor, not a victim. In chapter 6, conquering the temptations that threaten us. In chapter 7, realizing the peril of unconfessed sin. Chapter 8, understanding what it's like living in the will of God. Chapter 9, understanding how to deal with failure. And today, what we're going to talk about is watching God display His power. Watching God display His power. And as we saw last time, Verse 14 of chapter 9, Joshua and his leaders, when confronted by the Gibeonites, did not consult with God. And the Hebrew word consult there might help us better understand that. It really means to speak. They didn't speak to God about it. They didn't bring the proposal that the Gibeonites, who were deceiving them and they didn't know it, brought to them. They did not take it before God. Apparently, they thought they were smart enough without God. Apparently because they made their decision without consulting with him. We need to realize in the old covenant, they had to invoke the presence of God. Moses had to go up on a mountain to meet with God. It was a little different. God was with them, yes, but not in them. We're in the new covenant. The Holy Spirit of God has come to live in the hearts of believers. And as we yield to him freshly every day, before you ever get out of bed, Lord, I can't. You never said I could. You can. You always said you would. Getting into his word, renewing your mind with what God has said. We are consulting with him. This doesn't mean that you have to have a specific prayer for everything that you do. What it's talking about is your life is a prayer. Your whole life is a prayer. Wanting to know what God thinks. Wanting to know how God is leading. And then he gives us the wisdom and the discernment to face whatever it is we have to face and to make whatever choice it is we have to make. But when we choose not to live this way, we're doing the same thing that Israel did. We're refusing to consult with God. As a result of it, failure begins, just like it did with Israel, over and over and over again. But the good news is that that failure does not have to be the last word. It does not have to spell doom in our life. It does not have to be the last word. If we will simply come back to where we have departed and once again, Yield afresh and trust him and his word. We walk in the victory he has. Chapter 10 is a beautiful chapter. It comes right after one of the biggest failures that they have had in, in covenanting with, with the Gibeonites. And what happens is in, in chapter 10, it proves to us that failure does not mean God is finished with us. I don't know if that encourages your heart or not this morning, but that, that lights my fire. That failure doesn't mean God's finished with us. The incredible journey of the Christian life is all about Christ. And yes, we pursue him, and it's not an arrival, it is a pursuit. But it's really about the relentless pursuit he has in our life. He's chasing us all the time in the sense that he wants us to draw, to be drawn near to him. 
We do not set out to fail, but when we do fail, failure can become a tool that God can use to show us the futility of doing things our way as opposed to His way. When we're willing to deal with our failures in repentance and we choose afresh to surrender to Him, then we can experience His power over the very thing that caused the failure to begin with. You see, belief always conquers unbelief. All right, chapter 10. Word had gotten out about Israel's victories, but also it's gotten out about Gibeon uh, entering into a covenant with Israel. Verse 1. Now it came about when Adonai Zedek, and that really means king of righteousness. That's an interesting uh, take on that word. King of Jerusalem heard that Joshua had captured Ai and had utterly dis destroyed it, just as he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had done to Ai and its king, and that the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were within their land, that he feared greatly, because Gibeon was a great city. Now what that means is it's a city of importance, a very important city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than I, and all of its men were mighty, that means they were the best fighters. And this, this whole group had, had made covenant with Israel. Royal city carries the idea that they serve with a king. So to hear kings here, five kings. This is the first time we find that Gibeon was a great city greater than I, whom Israel had already defeated. Now out of fear, when they heard that Gibeon had covenanted with Israel, out of fear, this king of Jerusalem calls on four other kings to form a coalition against Gibeon. It says in verse 3, Therefore Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent word to Hoham, king of Hebron, and to Piram, king of Jarmuth, and to Zaphia, king of Lachish, and to Deber, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, and let us attack Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the sons of Israel. Now, these five kings that are going to join together were not good buddies. <laughs> They're not, they didn't go out and just enjoy one another. But what united them was their fear of Israel. Now, it's interesting to me. It's interesting to me. What unites people? How fear is, can unite people? Uh, I, th I was thinking about a book written several years ago. It doesn't matter who wrote it. I know, but that doesn't matter. And it was a book called The Fear Factor. And that fear factor was built on the fact, and, and it was based on fact, but yet it was a fictional book. And it was based on the fact of how if you can create enough fear in people's hearts, it bonds them together. For instance, the economy. You can bond people together once they get afraid of the economy. You can bond people together when it comes to global warming. And nobody ever asked me, but I think it's ridiculous. But whatever, you can, you can bond people together. I mean, my opinion means a whole lot. Well, now listen, if our, spiritual, if our enemies are spiritual and not physical, this is what we've got to continuously remember. We do not war against flesh and blood. And if, it's, if they're spiritual and not physical, then how does that apply to you and I when they... Form a coalition against us. Let me give you an example of that. You're hurt. Somebody said something to offend you. <laughs> I remember we had a guy who used to do our new members class. I don't know if Rick remembers this or not, but he used to say, the first thing that you can understand is if you join this church, you're going to be offended. <laughs> I used to think, that's probably not the best way to start a new members class. But what he was saying was that everybody's not walking with God all the time, and somebody's going to be off kilter one day and off track they're going to say something that's going to wound you. Okay, you've been hurt. If you do not run immediately to the Lord, 
If you do not find your solace in him, what's going to happen is there's a coalition that begins to form against you. Suddenly there's bitterness. Suddenly there's anger. It is incredible how this is a beautiful picture to us, not a beautiful, but a clear picture of us, of how the enemy rises against us. Here we are fighting against, we can see the enemy over here, we can see the enemy over here, but suddenly somebody hurts us and all of a sudden there's a coalition that comes up against us. And remember, this is a different kind of war than they've had before because up until this time, nobody's come against them. Now they're beginning to jo join forces and come against them. Well, <clears throat> so the five kings, verse 5 says, of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathered together and went up, they with all their armies, and camped by Gibeon and fought against it. Well, you can guess what's about to happen. You can guess. Gibeon, who has made peace with Israel, calls upon Israel to come to their rescue. Payday, someday. This is part of the consequences of not consulting with God. Now they're going to have to protect them at all costs. And verse 6 says, the men of Gibeon sent word to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal, saying, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us, for all the kings of the Amorites that live in the hill country have assembled against us. And they're bound by the covenant that they had made with them in the name of the Lord to protect them. They must protect God's name and covenant at all costs. And the story of what happens in chapter 10 teaches us so much about the mighty power that God has in our lives when we choose to trust Him. It's, and this is right after a huge failure in their life. Oh, it's amazing when we come back to where we've departed, and they departed when they didn't consult with the Lord. Well, this is what we want to look at today. Experiencing God's mighty power in your life. We want to see that God intervenes in our lives when we choose his way instead of our way and sometimes it's overwhelming to us how he gives us the victory and helps us to walk in what he has for us when we surrender to christ we will experience his power over the world and the flesh and the devil and that's all the enemy that we have three things first of all is this his power confuses the enemy which is the world the flesh and the devil as we walk through this keep remembering that our enemies or not flesh and blood. I'm going to say that over and over and over again. They're not flesh and blood. I know when I first got in the pastorate, I didn't know what I was doing. I still don't know a whole lot more. But as I would get together, I'd have, have a bad experience during the week, and I would work up a message so I could nail the person that I had found out about that had said what they said during the week. And you know what I discovered? They never were there. And it was like God said, okay, now who are you talking to? Because the people that you're aiming this thing at aren't even here. It took me a long time to realize you just preach Jesus and let him do the nailing. But I, it's amazing how this happened. In this case of Joshua chapter 10, God's power is supernaturally obvious. Verse 7, God assures Joshua with his promise and his presence. It says, so Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the valiant warriors. The Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them, for I have given them into your hand. Not one of them shall stand before you. <clears throat> now, as God was giving, not, was not giving Joshua a new promise. What he was doing is restating the promise he gave him back in chapter 1 and verse 5. He says, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not forsake you or forsake you or, 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 or fail you or forsake you. You see... 
there's absolutely no fear whatsoever when we're completely yielded to God's will. Perfect love casts out all fear. But I want you to notice something here. Joshua had already broken camp and taken his men from Gilgal when God assured his heart. He'd already broken camp. Something hit me in this. It's only as we obey that we get the peace that we're looking for in our heart. We don't get the luxury of it before we step out of what God has said. Then as we act on what God's Word says, all fear is dismissed, and the assurance of His presence and victory overwhelm us. I had a wonderful experience with this. In fact, I talked to him on the phone yesterday. Actually, I didn't talk to him. He texted me, and I couldn't get him. He's on the road recruiting. But he's a coach of an ACC team, well, University of Virginia. He's not the, the coach. He's an assistant coach. He used to be the head coach at New Mexico, University of New Mexico. He's been several other places. Wonderful friend, wonderful Christian. I met with him every three weeks when he was in New Mexico and finally touched base with him. But I remember one time he came together and he said, guys, I don't know what to do. He needed wisdom. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, I got to speak at the National Association of, of, of Collegiate College, uh, Coaches. And I said, well, that's a, that's a pretty good group. He said, yeah. And he began to name all the coaches that were going to be there that everybody knows about. And I said, well, what's your problem? He said, they just want me to share about being a coach and what I've learned, etc." He said, but God's putting on my heart that I need to share my testimony about my relationship with Jesus Christ. And I said, whoa, that's good stuff. And he said, would you pray with me? And we did. And as he went up there, uh, fully determined that he was going to share his testimony in a hostile environment, by the way, he went ahead and he told me, he said, Wayne, the peace of God overwhelmed him. And he got up in front of all those national collegiate coaches and he shared Jesus Christ and how Jesus Christ had come to come into his heart as his Lord and Savior. He said, the next coach that got up, and if I mentioned him, you would know exactly who he is, made fun of him, said, you need to make up your mind. You're going to be a preacher. You're going to be a coach. Everybody laughed. And they ridiculed him, different ones, until it was after, over, when it was over. And afterwards, a guy, they they started lining up, coming up to him, said, can you tell me more? One of them came up and said, I'm a Christian. I have felt so isolated in this coaching world. And it was over and over and over and over and over again. But he told me, when I finally decided what God was telling me to do, and I stepped out on it, he said, the peace of God just absolutely flooded his heart. That's the way it works. I wish we could get the peace beforehand. I wish God could just overwhelm us and show us and assure us our hearts but it doesn't happen until we step out on what God has said. But that's the key. What has God said? That's the key. Once we know what he said and we step out on it, all the fear is dismissed. Joshua, acting on God's command, caught them off guard, verse 9. So Joshua came upon them suddenly by marching all night from Gilgal. God led Joshua to march all night with his powerful army. You say, where is that? God's in control of this. This caught the enemy completely off guard. Verse 10. And the Lord confounded them before Israel, and he slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, and pursued them by the way of the ascent of Beth Horon, and struck them as far as Azekah and Machedah. The word confounded there means he, he just put them in a state of confusion. They weren't ready. They weren't ready. They were caught completely off guard. The nations weren't ready and did not know what to do. And listen, it was basically over before it ever had a chance to get started. Maybe I'll put it this way. Sometimes I wonder if I'm communicating. I'm going to try it this way. If you're trying to destroy the, the, the product of a particular factory, you don't start destroying every truck that comes out loaded with that product. Now, if you did that, 
yeah, I guess you could, you could destroy a lot, of the, a lot of the trucks as they came out. But the key to the whole thing, if you're trying to destroy the product that the factory's producing, you don't start by taking out every truck that comes out loaded with that stuff. You destroy the factory. And once you've destroyed the factory, you've destroyed all the trucks. It's incredible to me. We deal with sin, 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 sin. Why don't we, don't, why, why, why don't we just deal with self? Once you die to self, once King Jesus conquers you, once you've done that, you've already won the battle. Before it ever got started, you've already won it as you surrender to the Lordship of Christ. And that's so key to the Christian life. You deal with this sin and this sin and this sin and this sin. Just deal with the factory. Deal with self by saying freshly yes to the Lord. The way you say no to your flesh is by saying yes to him. The enemy was so terrified they took off running. And Israel, led by God himself, pursued. And the Lord, verse 10, confounded them before Israel. And he slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon and purchased them or pursued them by the way of the ascent of Beth Horon and struck them as far as Azekah and Machedah. Israel teaches us in chapter 10 that faith, which is saying yes to Christ, assures us of the victory we already have in him. It's not something we're getting from him. It's something we're living in that he's already given to us. How many times have we brought out the verse in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6 in this series? And which says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus, so, the same way, walk you in him. <clears throat> Come back to trusting him. Don't trust yourself. As we yield to him, as we yield to his power, he confuses the enemy of the world, the flesh, and the devil. We've already conquered it by, by letting King Jesus conquer us. It was the same at the Red Sea. It was the same at the Jordan River. It was the same at Jericho. And it was the same at Ai. When they trusted God, they walked in the victory that was there. Verse 10 says, He, speaking of God, slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon. Sin loses its power when we say yes to Christ. That's, that's the bottom line. Just like the Jordan River had to back up all the way to Adam when the ark was in its presence. Just the same exact way. God has broken the power of sin. But we've got to learn to walk in the truth that he has given to us. God's power confuses the enemy. But secondly, God's power crushes the enemy. In our possessing what God has given to us, the world, the flesh, and the devil are all crushed by his power. You don't have to fear it if you're walking surrendered. Victory is not us overcoming sin. Victory is Jesus who overcame sin, world, the flesh, and the devil. At the cross, it's him overcoming us. Victory is not me overcoming sin. Victory is Jesus overcoming sin me sin wilts in the power of his presence now what we're going to see now is so obvious if you miss this <laughs> would you talk to me afterwards i don't see how anybody can miss this verse 11 as they fled from before israel while they were at the descent of beth horon the lord threw large stones from heaven on them as far as azekah and they died there were more who died from the hailstones than those whom the sons of Israel killed with the sword. Awesome. Now, I want to ask you a question. Anybody here want to mess with God? <laughs> now, they've got their sword out, but God is throwing. Excuse me. <coughs> Does this stuff ever go away? God is throwing hailstones at them. What a vivid picture. You're talking about God intervening in our lives to where everybody sees it. I mean, can you miss this? Man, I would, hail is something else. 
when I was out in New Mexico, we had hailstorms there like I've never seen, and I mean large hail. In fact, one of them did about $5,000 worth of damage to both of our cars because we didn't have them in the garage. We just, for whatever reason that day, we hadn't parked them there. <coughs> but even more than that, I apologize. <coughs> I'm going to be all right. <coughs> okay, good. That really sounds good on the microphone, doesn't <laughs> it? Bless you, Wayne. <coughs> but the Walmart at Socorro, the hailstones were so large that it caved in the ceiling of the Walmart there. Now you think about it, that's a lot of power coming from, from the heavens. But here's God throwing hailstones out and killing them, and more people were killed by the hailstones than with the sword. God threw hailstones at them. It says there were more who died from the hailstones than those whom the sons of Israel killed with the sword. Imagine the fear of the enemy. Just imagine for a second to realize they're not fighting Israel. They're fighting God. Imagine that, what they went through. And this is what we've got to remember. King Jesus is greater than any king that can come against us. Paul on the road to Damascus had to learn this very lesson. <clears throat> it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the, to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul didn't realize that he was not up against the Christians. He wasn't up against the people at all. He was up against the God of the people. And when Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? That's covenant language. And when you're walking in covenant with God, God is your defender. And that's what... The beautiful truth that came across to me as I was studying this, you don't mess with God's people without encountering Him. And so what have we got to be afraid of? We walk in victory as we say yes to Him. The most important thing for Israel was that God was fighting for them from heaven. God is the one who conquers sin in our life. God conquers the world, the flesh, and the devil. He confuses it. And then He crushes the world, the flesh, and the devil when we're willing to say yes to him. It sounds so complex sometimes, but it's not complex. <laughs> it's just, Wayne, pay attention, son. Bow and yield to me, and everything else wilts in my presence. And you can walk through it in the victory God says is already yours. And this is after one of the biggest failures of deception that Israel had gone through. And God turns right around at those hailstones from heaven to protect them to assure them one more time. I'm not through with you. I haven't finished with you. I want you to think about that this morning because if there's any other failures in here besides me, that's an encouraging word. God confuses and then God crushes the world and the flesh and the devil that come at us when they, there's a coalition that comes towards us. Well, thirdly, not only does he confuse and crush, but God consumes the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, sin has no chance of robbing us of what God has already given to us. I hope you've understood that. It's a matter of me choosing not to walk in it, but nobody can take it from me. For Israel to, to, to totally defeat the enemy, they needed the light of day. They they, night would be their emesis. Darkness would be their nemesis. They had to have more light to finish out the victory. So in verse 12, then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the sons of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, 
This is Joshua. O sun, stand still at Gibeon, and O moon in the valley of Ajalon. In verse 13, so the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation avenged themselves of their enemies. Is it not written in the book of Jassar? And the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and did not hasten to go down for a whole day. Yes, the hail came down from the clouds from heaven. But to make sure that they understood that God was there and in control, he caused the sun and the moon to stand still until they defeated their enemy. <laughs> I just get the biggest kick out of that. Excuse me. Here I go again. It's here somewhere. <coughs> okay. God called a halt to the work of nature in behalf of his children to keep his enemy from, from being consumed or keep their enemy, or keep Israel from being consumed. He consumed their enemy. It's obvious that Joshua was quickened in the spirit when he prayed and to believe that God could and that God would do this. He had seen the power of God when he had backed up the River Jordan for 17 miles, he had witnessed the material elements of the walls of Jericho fall and, and give way. He had seen the hailstones rain down from heaven. Now he watches the sun and the moon stand still. You know what cracks me up? The skeptics say, that can't happen. Well, that's what they say. Now, who are we going to listen to, the scriptures or the skeptics? God created the sun and the moon. Genesis chapter 1, verse 16, God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. You know what? I believe in the Big Bang Theory. You say, Wayne, you do not. Yes, I do. God spoke and boom, it was there exactly in the right place, exactly the way God wanted it to be. I just want to make sure you're hearing what I'm saying. We're faced here with overwhelming things that we've got to do. We cannot do any of it. There's not a thing we can do. But God not only can, God will if we'll trust him. That's the, I, honestly, let me give you a bit of heart. I believe that's why we've got that empty building sitting over here is for this congregation to get to the place they're going to trust God in everything, not just, just in the building. They're going to trust God in everything in their life, every, all the way through. Well, God created the sun and the moon, and one day he's going to darken the sun. Revelation 6, 12 says, I looked when he, when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood. It's going to darken it one day. It's like he held it still. He's going to do that one day. Don't you love Psalm 19, verse 1? The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hand. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. The voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens, and its circuit to the other end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The same God who stepped out on nothing and created everything caused the sun and the moon to stand still. You see, God's power in the life of those who obey him, is, it's unmistakable and it's unprecedented. Verse 14 says, there was no day like that before it or after it. When the Lord listened to the voice of a man, for the Lord thought 
for Israel. Two things in that verse caught my attention. First of all, the Lord listened to the voice of a man. You know what? When we come to that place of prayer and when we become to that place of believing God and when we come to that place, it's unbelievable what God wants to do. One of the things we're going to have this fall that, that I'm so excited about is we're going to have an emphasis on prayer like we haven't had since I've been here. Whether you've had it before or not, I remember when I was first here we had it. But it's this coming. Because I believe that God just is bringing us back to pray. So many people are concerned about the election, and surely I am too, but folks, we've got to pray. We've got to pray. And that's what we're going to be doing. This fall is going to be an emphasis like we haven't had. I know we all pray, but I'm talking about a corporate emphasis of coming together and asking God to do what only God can do. But the second thing that hit me was the Lord fought for Israel. I love that. The Lord fought for Israel. God's on our side. Joshua 23, 3 says, And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who has been fighting for you. Deuteronomy 1, 30, The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight on your behalf just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. Joshua 10, 15, Then Joshua and all Israel with him returned to the camp of Gilgal, and I'll tell you what, they returned celebrating having watched God work. Story ends in verse 28, although Israel goes on and continues their victory to other nations in the land. But here's something interesting. The five kings, out of fear, run into a cave to hide from Israel. Well, they find them. They bring them to Joshua after the, these kings' armies had been defeated. Now, Joshua had each of his leaders, he laid them out on the ground, these, these kings, had each of his leaders come up and put their foot on their neck. <laughs> and he said, I want to tell you something. It's very so interesting. Don't you fear because this is what God will do to all of your enemies. And isn't that, isn't that a, a visible picture of what he's saying here? Listen, you've won, you've seen the victory. You, you've, you've walked in it. Now come up here. You're going to have other enemies come at you. Put your foot on their neck. And be reminded, this is what God's power does to the enemies that come against his people. It's interesting that in verse 25, what had been spoken to Joshua, to Joshua, was now spoken through Joshua for the benefit of the people. In Joshua 10, 25, Joshua said to them, Do not fear or be dismayed. Be strong and courageous, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies with whom you fight. <clears throat> what God had to say to him to assure his heart, now he says through him to assure the people. That's a visible picture to me. If you've seen God overcome your, come you, the factory, if you've walked in the victory that Jesus says is already yours, just put your foot down on whatever it was that was affecting you and remember that God has already defeated that in your life. Sin cannot, over empower, cannot overpower us if we're willing to walk surrendered. To him. Do you realize that's the simplicity of the whole message of Joshua? It's just trust God, just trust God, just trust God, just trust God. Well, do you hear what God's saying to your life today? He conquered sin at the cross for you when you received him into your heart, but listen, he broke its power in your life. We don't have to walk in his power anymore. You put your foot on the neck of whatever is bringing you down every time you bow and trust Christ in your life, every time. You say yes, you've just put your foot on the neck of what's coming against it. Well, let me ask you a question. What is it right now that plagues your life? 
It plagues you. Unforgiveness, bitterness, and all the symptoms of that, we know what they are, critical spirit, judgmental attitude, anger, lust, covetousness. What is it that seems to be the chink in your armor? Where, what is it that you can't understand that Christ has already conquered in your life? And as you come and surrender to him and bow to him, you just put your foot on its neck. So, if any of us failed again this morning since last week, Anybody fail last week? No, it takes longer than that, Wayne. Anybody fail? Have you admitted it? Have you assessed that you failed because you did not submit and trust Christ in a matter in your life? Have you been willing to come back to where you departed? If so, you can experience his victory once again in your life over the world and the flesh and the devil. And you see, when people are living in its defeat, the victory that Christ has given to us, that's one thing. But there are a lot of Christians that, that don't live that way. As a result of it, it shows up in people, but the people are not our enemy. It shows up in them. And I remember one business meeting, and I'll not tell you where. You say, Wayne, was it here? Could have been. I remember one business meeting. We had a guy that was the most judgmental, critical individual. Everything he ever said was in the negative mood. I think he woke up in the morning and said, I'm going to mess somebody's day up today. That's the way he lived. That's the way he lived. He never had a smile on his face. I don't know if he knew, knew what that was. And he had already told us in that business meeting, he said, I will speak my peace. Because <laughs> this is a democracy, right? Yeah, that's in the book of hesitation. I'm going to speak my peace. Well, you know what? We prayed, and God assured us that we had heard from him. And I remember presenting it before the church, and I remember when I finished fully expecting him to come out of his seat, I said, are there any questions? And that man just sat there. And I said again, are you sure that there are no questions? And that man sat there. And I said a third time, now are you really sure that there are no questions? And I started looking right back where he sat. And I said a fourth time. Now let me make sure you understand what I, what I just said. Are there any questions? And that man sat still and never opened his mouth. And it was like God said, so you want to tell you something, Wayne? If you'll trust me and listen to me, I'll fight for you. I'm the one who goes ahead of you, and I'm the one who leads you in your life. It's incredible. God's mighty power that he wants us to tap into. Do you realize a power pole has a light, an electricity line that goes to your house? You do not turn on the electricity. No, sir. It's always on. You turn it off. And that's the way it is with the power of God in your life. You say, well, where is it? I don't know. What did you do to switch it off? Where did you depart? Why is it that you're allowing sin to conquer you in your life? Why is it? And I'm asking myself, why? We depart when we fail to trust God by, by the attitude of our life being willing to submit to him. Let us stand together. Heads bowed and eyes closed. And let's just take a few moments to just reflect on what maybe God has said to you this morning. I, I like what Brother Rick says all the time when I'm with him. He said, there's one thing that God has said to you today. So draw that circle around yourself. Nobody else is here, just you and the Lord. Ask yourself, what is that one thing that God wants you to hear? Now, are you willing to respond to what God said? Now, the altar is open if you need to come and pray. Maybe there's something that's just whipping you every single day but you haven't realized you've got to go back to where you departed. 
You come back to willingness to surrender afresh by your heart attitude towards Christ, by coming back to His Word and doing what it says. It's so key in all of this. Maybe you're here and you need to come to know Christ this morning and somehow in a message in Joshua, God is helping you to realize what the new covenant is. It's Christ coming to die for your sin on the cross and He resurrected and ascended. Now He sends His Spirit. When you're willing to bow and confess yourself a sinner and receive Him into your heart, that's when He's willing to come in. That's when the work starts, right there. That's when the covenant begins. So maybe you need to come down front. We'll be down here. Or maybe there's something else in your life. Maybe you want to join a church. I don't know. If you need to come forward, though, that's between you and the Lord. We'll be here. You just do whatever God tells you. For additional resources or to view our TV program, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.